Thanks for engaging with the Open Life Talks, whether you're on the Open Life Church app or you're listening through iTunes. You know, we know that life can be overwhelming, but we found that true life and peace of mind can come from a growing relationship with Jesus. So thanks for taking the time to listen or watch today's talk. You know, this is part of our James Summer Series, and so we are walking through the book of James verse by verse. We also have some additional resources that we want to put in your hands. Go to any app store, download the Open Life Church app, then from the front, front page, make sure you click on the button open daily. And we have some cool daily devotionals that we want you to read along according to each week that you're listening to or part of. So we encourage you to do that. Here is today's talk. We are in James 4 today, and we're going to go through a chunk here, verse 1 through 12. And in the New Living Translation, it's titled, Drawing Close to God. We'll jump in. It says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when, or even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the, or, yeah, God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Still going, verse 7. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Wow, what a, thanks, Thad, for such an uplifting passage today. I'm glad I could leave today sorrowful, right? But there's still more. Here we go, verse 11. Uh, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Sounds like a lot, right? But there is a theme that streams through this whole thing. And it's our big idea today. Our big idea is that God wants you to experience grace. God wants you to experience grace. He alone has the power to save or destroy. It's interesting when you, when you take a passage like this and, and you dive into it, you can either focus on like, here's the hope within this text, like here's the joy within this text, and here's the promise within this, or it'd be easy to just grab like, 
the, correct, the corrective elements of it or the elements that seem hard and like, brr, right? And uh, I don't know what personality type you are, but it probably results in the way you lean when you listen to this or read this text. So some would just go, man, come on, Thad. There's so much corrective stuff in here. How can you have a big idea that's like hopeful, like experience grace? Well, because it is the theme here. It literally, like that is what, this is about drawing close and experiencing God's grace and all the stuff that's in our way of doing that. And it's just life. Life leads us to miss some things. Now, it's interesting because Scripture does promise that we are going to be corrected in Scripture. It says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, that all Scripture is inspired by God and is used to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So we're being prepared today, right? This passage, this segment in James is like a preparation segment where we're kind of going to get put into the blender a little and realize, oh man, I've got some things to give up to God. Some desires that are welling up within me. It is corrective in its tone and that's healthy. But the corrective tone leads us to do what's right, and that is to experience the grace of God. So here is our thought one of four that I think are really plain in this text. Uh, first, we've got we've to check your motives. Check your motives. It's the desires at war within you, it says, that lead our motives to lead us to do these things that would lead to jealousy and war and rage and all those strong words. It says, if you recall, back a couple weeks, James 1, 13 through 15 said, Remember when you were being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires. So our temptations come from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Like, so these temptations, even Jesus was tempted. Temptation isn't sin, but it's what temptation leads to. If we give in to temptation, these desires well up, tempt us, and if we give in, leads to sin. And so we have this challenge. We can pursue all the things that others have in this world by being tempted. Man, I really want to drive that kind of car. I want that kind of lifestyle. I want to dress like that. I want to wear tight jeans like Dave. I want to, oh, did I say a name out loud? Jeepers. I was supposed to scratch that out of the notes. My arms would fit in there. But anyway, moving on. Um, you know, I... I you look at these, these elements and you just look at other people that look happy or you could get stuck on social media looking at dream lifestyles. You know, people put their best image out on vacation and then they go back to fighting. And it's like, oh man, look, they're so happy on vacation. Why did we just fight? No, they fought right before the picture. It was that moment, right? Where we're going to take a picture, look happy right now. Man, they're so happy on vacation. Mm-hmm. Right. They might be normal, too, and, and be tired and argue and, and do that. We look at that, and we, 
we've got this challenge of what we're perceiving as perfection. And then we start pursuing it. And you can even look at celebrity lifestyles and watch their lives and, and just go, man, they're living the dream. They've got it all. All this money has made them happy. Really? Can we really say that with all the lives lost from depression that have everything? Amazing careers. And yet they still have the same struggles you and me have with depression and and suicide and tendencies that are just right in their face. They have it all but have no hope still. What God wants to do is build us up on the inside. And so if our desires are towards stuff and lifestyles and all these, it's like that's what James is going after. Man, if you want to be close to the world, you'll get that. But you should be close to God. Like there's so much more when you're close to God. In, in, in essence, he'll give you more than you could have got if you pursued the world. You'll still live this life that is so crazy, crazy full. So the challenge that we weigh on a daily basis is, man, do I want to live up to this comparison game? Do I want to pursue God with everything and see what he blesses me with? Am I, am I going to try to fit in or become the woman or man of God that he has destined me to be? And then trust him to bring me into this life that is life to the full. I don't know if you've heard people tell their stories and it sounds like, well, I was, you know, living this lifestyle. It was incredible. I was just having a fun life. And then, you know, I made a decision to follow Jesus. And, well, you know, I, I follow him now. And it's like, wow, that didn't sound like a good choice, you know. You kind of, your tone went down. You know, it's just like, really? Do I want that? It should be the opposite, right? It should be like, man, I was living this way and things were hard. And I woke up the next day and I had regrets. And I was like, but then I made this decision to make my spirit right with God. And I began to draw close to him. And I got to tell you, life now, right? We got to be careful the way we tell our stories. Because I think sometimes we make it sound like, well, we used to live it up. But now, you know, I follow Jesus. <laughs> it's like, uh, we may be giving off the wrong message, right? We need to check our motives and make sure we're pursuing God for life to the full. Because that's what he's promising us. Like, that's where the life comes. And uh, in our open daily devotional... This past week, I, I wrote about Jesus' prayer in John 17. We won't read it for the sake of time. But he, uh, he prays this final prayer before he's taken away and, and crucified. And, and he prays this prayer for his disciples, all those who are following him and those who would believe it says. So that's us. That's those of us now, like years later in the future. And I look at this story as he's praying for his disciples. And he says that he wants them to be in the world but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. And when I look at that, I was going, wow, that is, that's a, a powerful challenge. And, you know, last week we talked about yielding and, and what God was challenging us to do, to yield with culture and, and don't try to have our own lane separate from cultures as followers of Jesus. We're supposed to yield with culture and, and be a light right in the center of culture. And Jesus prayed this way for us, right? That we're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. But yet, we got to watch it. Because we could be tempted while we're in that lane with the world, right? So I think James is approaching. Check your motives at all times. Because as we're yielding, as we're living in grace amongst the rest of the world around us, there's a few things that will well up within us. It could be like comparison game. It could be judgment against those around us. But we're just called to be a light there. 
More of that on thought four. James calls these people in the world, or really these followers of Jesus at this point, that are kind of cheating on Jesus with the world, he calls them adulterers. Fitting word, because they're, they're following Jesus, but they're really pursuing someone else, the world, in this imagery he casts. You read that word adulterer, and you immediately think of marriage. And so I wanted to pause here while that's in our ear and in our mind and in our thought and talk about the gift if you're married in this room, some are called to singleness, but if you're married in this room, the gift your spouse is. And when you're living in oneness with each other, the gift a spouse is. And the opportunity you have to be 100% open with one another and watch this accountability and, and this truth and this ability to share, man, I was tempted by this. Or the ability to confess, I was I was lured in by this desire that welled up within me. If you're married, you also know that's not easy to talk about in marriage. It's like, hon, I want to let you know uh, this happened and it concerned me. I remember being a youth pastor really early on, brand new married. Like, we get married, we go be youth pastors like the next week. It was crazy. And uh, so we started being youth pastors. It was all new. Had no idea what I was doing. And I just knew we were called to reach young people and love on them. And so we were praying for them one time. We were praying at the end of a service. And, and, uh, and I remember some people were kneeling at an altar up front. And I placed my hand on this, this girl's back. And I'm praying for her. And she reaches her hand up and rubs my hand. And I was like, what was that? Right? It was really weird. And uh, so I said to my wife, this weird thing happened at the altar. Uh, can you watch? Like, can you just help in this? Some people would go, I'm not going to say anything. That would freak somebody out. Don't want to start a squabble. You know, but if we're just open and up front, this was awkward. Like, she rubbed my hand. <laughs> that was just odd. So I'm a little like, help me out here, you know. Later, there was another moment where there was an altar time. And I remember she approached me for prayer. And I'm like breaking out in a sweat. And if you know me, and I've, I've overshared before, my right armpit starts sweating. I don't know why that's the only one. But, you know, I'm sitting there like probably like it's running down my body. And I'm going, what? No, she's coming to me, I'm looking around for leaders to help. And I remember just grabbing another student as she approached because I was freaking out. And I was like, I was like, what to do, what to do? And I remember when she, she, she wanted prayer for and, and she asked for prayer because she was going like middle school to high school years and dealing with some very like puberty type issues. And she wanted prayer for that. And I was like, dear Lord. Thank you that I grabbed someone to be right here. It was so inappropriate, right? And you're just like, there's those moments. And again, I'm like, Dana, you got to help me out here. Don't let me get stuck. You know, and it's just, but there's other moments where we find ourselves in compromising scenarios. And do we share that with our spouse? If you struggle confession with your spouse, moments that you're like, I better keep this secret because this is, would make them upset. I got to tell you, don't make any other excuses. Sign up for re-engage. 
because you'll get the tools you need to dialogue through those things. Reengage is a small group. I know we promo it, but it's, it's a small group of married couples, uh, four to five couples sitting in a circle dialoguing through 16 different lessons on our marriage, and you will be transformed in your marriage. It will heal, help, encourage, equip, uh, make your marriage go from a six to a seven or a zero to a five wherever you rate it right now. So I encourage you to sign up for that. But I got to tell you, those moments will happen. And when you're looking at checking your motives, there's nobody better in your life to check your motives than if you've been married and you have a spouse there to help you with that. And sometimes it doesn't feel good when they're checking your motives. But I would encourage you to be very open. You don't want to lose that type of accountability that God has gifted you with. For those of you who are yet to be married, you've got to have some friends around you that you are 100% authentic, genuine, and open with, that you can share your struggles and temptations because we all sin. All of us are going to mess up, and we need people to share with because those desires are real in us. They're going to well up, and we need accountability when they do. That brings us to thought two, which is humble yourself. It's not easy to say, help. It's not easy. It's hard to admit we cannot face the pressures this life deals us alone. To say we need someone or accountability software or whatever, or maybe we just need to unplug the internet or not have our phones unpassworded. You know, I don't know what it is we need to do to, to live a pure life before God and not be adulterers towards the world. What's tempting you? How can you remove that? And who can help you? I mean, we need to ask those questions. It's, uh, we're going to face pressures in life. We're going to face pressures in life. In our marriage, like I just shared, students, you're going to face pressures in school that you can't imagine. Whether it's high school, middle school, college. Not at UW, though, because, you know, go dogs. Anyway, uh, if you're a cougar, you'll face temptations. I'm just teasing. Uh, have to throw those out every once in a while. I love you all. Okay, moving on. Uh, except for the cougars. Uh, or Oregon ducks. Okay, I'll just get off that subject. Football season's too close. I'm, come on. Admitting we need accountability is, is a key piece of humility. Um, but it goes even farther here in James. It's like this deep humility that leads to a thing called repentance. Like Psalm 51.17 says it this way. It's a verse that I memorized a long time ago, and it just rises up in a moment like like this segment of James, it says, the sacrifice you desire, speaking, the psalmist is speaking of God, the sacrifices you desire is a broken spirit. You'll not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. So a broken and repentant heart is a lot more than just like, yeah, I'm sorry, God. It's like, Mourning. That's where you read that, that weeping, that mourning, that like painful, like, okay, I'm saying joy, goodbye. I'm going to say I'm sorry to God really authentically. And uh, repentance is turning from our wrong ways, but also confession to God of those ways that we need to turn from. It's admission of sin. And maybe for some it's easier to journal it. Uh, you know, Paul himself says that like 
he demonstrates this humility in a, in a passage in Romans. He says in Romans 7.24, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Like we need to feel that kind of anguish in our repentance. When we mess up to like really be grieved by what we've done to God. And uh, I think it's a, a challenge. One commentary I was reading says this. The inner sense of wretchedness should be matched by outward expressions of sorrow. So when's the last time you cried about your sin to God? And some of you are like, I'm not a crier. Oh, I am, okay? So I'll just like, okay, God, I'm just so sorry. And you're just like, even like getting some, some snot rug, you know? It's just like, I'm going to kneel, and you're like getting the hup-ups, and you're well, anyway, you can fill in the blanks of what happens after that. But you're like, it's just like, Lord, I'm, I just am sorry. And I confess that I've done this. This was wrong. I made a mistake and tried to fib my way out of it. So if you use a strategy for prayer, like I do, I, I often will use the pray strategy. Have you ever used that? It's the, an acrostic. So P is for praise. You're like, thank you, God. When I'm praying, I'm like, thank you, God, for the love and grace you give me, the mercy you have on my life is undeserved, but I, I thank you. R is for repent. So it's like, I'm sorry for, you know, the way I got angry with my son today uh, because he, he left me to die on Fortnite. I'm just, thank you, Lord, that um, I had great weapons, but I know that he took them from me. And anyway, no, I don't know, whatever the repentance is. And then you ask, you know, A, so P-R-A, a is like, God, I, I, I want to come to you and ask for this. I want this for this person and this for this scenario. And then yield, which is, okay, your ways are my ways, so help me find your way. And I often use a strategy like that for prayer when I'm talking to God. First, we've got to talk to God and make sure our motives are right, right? But now we've got to humble, ourse humble ourselves and just repent. And I think often we forget that. Often we leave that out when we're praying. Matthew 23, 12 says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted, which is what James is saying here. But it's not intuitive. It's counterintuitive. When you're saying, wait, 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 wait. So if I, if I want honored, or if I want to grow, and I want to like be more visible with my faith, and I want to make a difference and be an example to others, I need to first like humble myself. I don't know if you've ever taught your children to swim or seen a child learning to swim. It's terrifying if you're the parent. You're like, really? You're just going to stick their head in the water like that? But that's how they learn. And it's interesting because you can float, any of us in here, there's not one that I might be more buoyant than the average, but I'm just saying, we can all float. And when you're teaching a kid to back float, that's terrifying for a kid, right? They're just like laying in the water. But to realize until your ears are in the water, you're not going to float. But a kid's like, no, I'm going to do this, you know, and they're like, <laughs> down to the bottom. You're like, but if you just throw your legs up and put your ears in the water. So you're telling me I need to go underwater to float? Makes no sense, does it? But that's how it works. And I think sometimes life is that way. And obviously, humility is this way. We need to first humble ourselves 
In that, God will go, thank you for admitting you need me. Here's some mercy and grace, and I'll elevate you. Or as James words it, you'll be honored. We need to check our motives, and we need to humble ourselves. And then, thought three, come close to God. If you picture God as a disciplinarian or authoritarian figure that's just looking for a moment for you to mess up and he's going to like, you know, some people, it's a real fear that when you invite a friend to church, which we should all be doing, when we're saying, man, you should join me at Open Live or come serve with me at this event or whatever, and they're like, yeah, I don't know, like I might get struck by lightning. I've not been good. You know, and that's a real fear. Have you ever heard that? I think I'm going to get struck by lightning if I come to church. I don't know where it started, uh, but people fear that. And so it's just like, no, I haven't seen it happen in, in all my years at church yet, so far. <laughs> I haven't seen us get struck by lightning because of somebody walking in. I came to church and didn't get struck by lightning. And if I could go to church and not get struck by lightning, anybody could come to church and not get struck by lightning. But that's an authoritarian figure. They think God's so mad at them and just waiting to spank them, right? But really, the right image of God, as he demonstrates throughout Scripture, is an open-arm image of someone who's just waiting and looking for us to run to him. He's got mercy. It's kind of like a child that makes a mistake. And you're like, talk about counterintuitive again, right? It's natural for a child to cover said mistake. Let's say they break something they know is important to their parents. That's usually one you'll find behind a bookcase later. It goes missing, whatever it is. I don't know. I haven't seen your phone, Dad. Uh, I've not seen it. I didn't see it on the floor earlier, or anywhere, you know, and they're kind of being real weird about it. Kids can't lie to parents. Have you, why, why haven't they realized this? But anyway, you know, you just, you kind of watch them, whatever it is, but they try to hide it. That's the natural instinct, the wisdom of the world, right? But all of a sudden, what the scripture's telling us is, no, run to the Father, even though you know discipline might be waiting. And what you'll find is, Confession and repentance results in way less discipline, or it should, than if you hid something or lie about it. I think that's a challenge we're all dealing with, is this attitude of a corrective moment with God. And his correction looks like mercy. His correction looks like grace. Hebrews 4.16 says it this way, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Like, don't wait until you don't need it anymore to come to God. In the moment you need it, run to God because he's got the help you need don't hide away and I'm not going back to church because I made a mistake I got baptized and I sinned the next day how could I do this right and it's like no 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 that's the time to get back don't hide because you went out to the wrong party and made a mistake don't hide because you lied about something to your small group leader don't hide because you made the same mistakes in your marriage that you did before you went through re-engage and now you're embarrassed? I don't, don't, no. 
His mercy is like right now while you're in it. I love Romans 5, 6 through 8. Makes it so clear. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. Died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You do not have to be perfect to approach God. His grace is for your imperfection. His mercy is during your misery. He wants you to draw close to him, come close to God. Christ died for you, and he faced all the same temptations we do. They were a little different in his culture than what we have now, but he was without sin, so he's not unfamiliar with the desires that are rising up in you, and he's going to have grace for you. So we come close to him and experience his grace. And final thought today, and this is where it turns in verse 11 and 12 of this segment in James. Be the example, not the judge. Be the example, not the judge. The phrase that just caught me, like just jolted me as we were studying this this week to get ready for today is where it says, but your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. How much do we read the Bible that way in our world today? Well, okay, yeah, that's good. I'll accept that part of the Bible, but this part, well, it's not, you know, it doesn't apply to me Maybe to them, right? Or more so, this doesn't apply to me. Like, I'm a follower of Jesus now, but this passage applies to them, and I'm going to let them know it applies to them. And we become the judge and and the police, the moral police, right? I'm going to become the moral police, and I'm going to write you a ticket straight to hell. (laughs) You're like, no, whoa, hey, no, that's not our duty. It's not what we're called to do. We're supposed to... Be an example and lead by example, not condemnation. I'm asked a lot about controversial subjects as a pastor, especially one that's very present in community and one that pastors a church called Open Life, right? Uh, So we get a lot of questions about controversial cultural subjects, what our view is on this issue or that issue. And I always say the same thing because it resonated with me when someone said it. I always say, I want to extend the same grace Jesus has extended to me to others. Well, is this group welcome at your church or is that person welcome at your church? I'm like, everybody's welcome at our church because we all deserve the same grace that we were extended when we were sinners, and we're still sinners, and he's still extending grace. So we don't say, you can't, or you can, or you must not. We allow people to experience their own journey of grace instead of being judge and jury before they ever walk through the doors. People are always like, wow, you're one of those grace places. (laughs) Yes, absolutely, that's us, guilty as charged. Because I live according to the Bible. We are called. It's not ours to judge when someone is at their, their journey of experiencing God's grace. It's mine to exemplify a life lived within that grace being lived to the full. Like that's the challenge. There's a great read. I think it's tomorrow actually on the Open Daily Devotional. Uh, written by Jessica Parker. 
will write, you'll enjoy it, but it talks about how we each are at our own pace. And the other side of this is when we are in a relationship with Jesus and, and, and maybe we're experiencing grace at one pace and we see somebody else experiencing it at another and we start to get either envious or jealous or accusational that they should be farther along if we're still going to love them. That's a challenge. And it's a great read. You've got to go on and read it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this final passage in Matthew 18, 23 through 35 to get us ready for our action step. It makes total sense to me. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. He says, in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt, like gone, not come back and pay it later. No, gone, you're debt free. Dave Ramsey would be ecstatic. You know, it's like, yes, debt free. That's what I'm talking about. Now keep some envelopes, right? So he's debt-free. Verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Millions to now thousands. Kind of petty, right? He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor, the man who has just forgiven a million dollars, is now the creditor. And his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Exactly what he received, he did not pay forward. And when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. <laughs> it's exactly what James is talking about. We're to be the example. If we're forgiven by God, which we are, when we ask for forgiveness, when we invite Jesus into our life, we follow him as Lord, we now have the opportunity to extend that same grace through our life's example and through the way we love and serve others. We have the opportunity to make a huge difference in the world around us. So that's where our action step comes out of. What this guy didn't do is what we need to do, and that's embrace grace. God wants us to experience his grace, so we need to do what? We need to look at our life. And a couple different scenarios I thought of today that I wanted to specifically hit on here. When we're tempted to condemn ourselves due to our own sin and our own desires that well up within us, we need to embrace grace. We need to check our motives, humble ourselves, and draw close to God. Secondly, 
maybe we find ourselves tempted to judge someone for their lack of growth because of their continued sin. That's when we need to embrace grace. That's when we need to check our motives as to why we're playing the judge and grabbing them by the throat and demanding they pay up. Why would we do that? We need to humble ourselves and don't live in spiritual pride and demonstrate love and what it looks like to continue to draw close to God. That's our challenge today. And I want to pray for each of you as you have the opportunity to go and be grace-living followers of Jesus in a world that is growing and growing in a lack of mercy and grace. Lord, I thank you that you could bring us through these doors. We could rent this school today and we could worship you openly. And I pray right now that you would help everyone that is sitting here be, be those who would embrace grace. That, God, you would give us a passion for those who need your love, who need your grace, who need to, to follow you with everything in their spirit. And, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to humbly repent of the sinners we are and say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need you to, to cleanse me again. I know you went to the cross for me. You died for me so that I could be free from sin. But yet I stumble back in, so forgive me. Maybe there's a time this week where those that are here that know they need to confess their sin or know they need to just weep before you would be able to have that moment with you and truly ask for your forgiveness and the forgiveness of others. Lord, that's humbling. And I know that we can draw close to you boldly, even you challenge us, that we can run to you. And I pray that we would do that. And we would exemplify to others what that looks like that we would embrace grace, be grace givers, followers of Jesus. Strengthen us to do that. Give us the courage to be honest with you. You know what's going on in our world and be honest and authentic, genuine with those around us. Thank you for this challenge in James. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The worship team's gonna sing while you just process. Man, where am I at? If you wanna jot a prayer request on the back of that Connect card or on the digital version, be it confidential or not confidential, we'll share that. We'll pray for you this week. But I want you to, like in your own spirit, what's my next step? Be praying about that before Jaden comes and closes us in a second. Well, thanks once again for engaging with today's talk. You know, if you're listening on the Open Life Church app or through the message archive, you can fill out a connect card. Let us know that you're listening and we would love to pray with you if you have any prayer requests. So make sure you fill that out there. Again, you, from the front page of our Open Life Church app, we have some additional resources, a daily devotional that we want you to be able to have in your hands. So click on that button, open daily, and be encouraged by other people at Open Life who are engaging with the book of James as well. Thanks again for being part of what Open Life is doing and thanks for taking time out of your day to listen or watch here at Open Life Church.